Welcome to the New Book Tuesday podcast from Cedarburg Public Library, located in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. We are a public library on Hanover Avenue, and with a not the tallest building in Cedarburg, but, you know, I think we have the most stature. <laughs> so there we go. I am joined, my name is Jeff Messerman, uh, Adult Services Librarian. I am joined today by my other librarian friends, and we're going to go around the room and uh, let them introduce themselves. My name is Casey St. Clair, Head of Youth Services. I'm Sarah Kelly, Adult Services Librarian. And I'm Heidi Griffin, the Youth Services Associate. All right, you all passed the first test. <laughs> the point of this show will be to introduce the just what the title says, New Book Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday seems to be the primary day that new books, nonfiction, fiction, children's books alike, drop, as the cool kids say. And we're going to talk about them here and possibly give you some reading lists that you can build every week or every other week, however this thing winds up uh, showing up in your podcast feed. And to give some of our listeners background, we actually receive books on Tuesday. So Monday, we'll walk into the library through the employee entrance and see Baker and Taylor boxes, big cardboard boxes with the books that us librarians have placed the orders for. Then Sarah, other Sarah, not Sarah, sitting with (laughs) us today, will unbox the boxes and do some checks and balances and accounting and then The brand new books wind up on each of our shelves to label, read through, sticker, and put them send them out the door. Um, That usually happens on Tuesdays. So Monday and Tuesdays are happy days for us. It's an exciting day. We come in and it's uh, you know who? What other job do you have? Christmas every Tuesday. (laughs) So that works out well. Jeff, would you like to share your selection first? I would be delighted. What I have today, I actually did not stay in my lane. Traditionally, I do the buying for the fiction collection. I moved over into Sarah's lane <laughs> without asking. And because I was really excited about this, I am, as you all know, and soon you all will, will know, I am a big movie cinephile film junkie. And as a kid, the really people who made this habit and uh, fanaticism come to be Arsis Ebert, the film critics who were on television. And this book is called Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever by a guy named Matt Singer. I'm about, i got a little ways to go yet. I can tell you that this has been one of the most joyful reads I've had this year. The interesting thing about Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert is the fact that You'll notice the subtitle of the book is How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever. Not film criticism forever. They changed movies forever, and they really did. These guys, you know, film movie going was one thing, and it was something that people did on Saturday night as a date or whatever. And film critics were stuffy people who wrote rather dry columns in newspapers. These guys turned film criticism into, like, rock, rock stars. I mean, they really... They started out on public television in Chicago. WTTW, I think, was their um, television network. And they... Um, <laughs> they hated each other from the get-go. They hated each other. They, I mean, and it was... It was a healthy hate in that it was all based in envy. <laughs> like, uh, Gene Siskel despised the fact that Roger Ebert got a Pulitzer before he did. Roger Ebert despised the fact that Gene Siskel was higher paid than he was. <laughs> one was from the Tribune, one was from the Chicago Sun-Times. There was no reason why they should get along. However, 
there was a mutual respect. And that's really interesting. But the fact that they would fight, you know, the personas you saw on television of them duking it out over if a movie's good or bad, they fought over airline seats. They would show up, they would go on David Letterman or the Johnny Carson show, and they remember there's two chairs. They would fight over who sat next to Carson and Letterman, and it never ended. And But it's amazing because all of this combat was really coming from a bizarre place of mutual respect and love. It is such a great book. You just, as characters, they're fascinating people. Uh, it's written in a real breezy conversational tone. If you have, if you're a fan of just movies, if you're a fan of film criticism, if you're a fan of journalism, if you're a fan of just media and media conglomerates, and this really covers how like they went from public television to syndication. It was the earliest days of like a show not being with a big network, so it was like you know out of sh- and it was unheard of that a show would come out of New York or Los Angeles. It's coming out of Chicago, and the people on the coast just hated it. It was a and the fact that they told the truth. These guys, you know, later on, uh, Walt Disney was in charge of their their show. They basically was the producers of the show. And they said, you know, when Siskel and Ebert reviewed Disney movies, maybe they should be nicer to them. And they were just horrified by that concept. And I just feel like today, I don't know, I think people would just be like, oh, how much, you know, it's all money and, you know, and they want access to the stars and everything. These guys never did that. So, um, yeah, the book is uh, Opposable Thumbs, Matt Singer, uh, available in the library system and hopefully available here at the Cedarburg Library soon. I think uh, Sarah's going to order it because I've been raving about it all week and I haven't shut up about it. So now I'm going to shut up about it. Anyone have any interesting points to ponder over this one? I'm curious, where does the title come from? Well, so, And I'll note that there yes. are two thumbs, like a thumbs up and a thumbs down on the cover. So I just read that passage, actually. Uh, They started out reviewing movies, and they would say on their first show, if they liked it or disliked it, it would be yes or no was their ratings. That was the earliest phases. When they got to syndication and got bigger, and I mean bigger, like millions of viewers uh, bigger, they decided that they couldn't do the yes-no thing anymore because that would be a copyright infringement on the prior show. So... Apparently, Roger Ebert suggested the thumbs, saying thumbs up or thumbs down for a movie. Gene Siskel disputes that. <laughs> it's like everything else because these guys could never get along. But yeah, opposable thumbs is essentially these are opposing opposable. Yeah, it's a, I suppose it's a, a pun because opposable thumbs means one thing, but no, these are opposing thumbs. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and it's funny that the, you nor I nor anyone on the show, if you like a book, we can never say two thumbs up. That is actually copyrighted and trademarked by Siskel and Ebert, Inc. <laughs> Good to know. Nobody say two thumbs two thumbs up. <laughs> I'd also like to point out that it's very meta that we're talking, we're reviewing books <laughs> about movie reviewers. Who a book about movie reviewers? So we're reviewing the book about reviewer. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm so confused. Anyway, uh, currently it was just published a few weeks ago. Currently available in the Monarch Library system. Place your holes now. So I have another book here, <laughs> and it's actually in my lane. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, strange that something like this would exist. I didn't even know this is coming down the pike. It's called Julia by Sandra Newman, but the full title, I suppose, is Julia, 1984, a retelling of George Orwell's 1984. Now, nobody really asked for this, I don't think. (laughs) I don't recall needing this. However, and this also I'm about halfway through, not quite done with yet, Um, but I can tell you that it is also probably one of the best books I've read this year. (laughs) 
I grabbed two. I grabbed two uh, two glowing uh, nuggets off the pile right away for this first episode. Um, it is a. It is advertised as a feminist take. On 1984, because it is told, and I don't know how often, I mean, who around here is actually, was forced to in school and or by their own volition read George Orwell's 1984. Anybody? Me. Okay. Heidi, uh, <laughs> Heidi admits to it. Anybody else? 1984? No? Okay. You should. It's great. <laughs> um, but um, it is it is a book that, of course, is used as like, when they talk about Whenever someone says a, there's a political overreach or there's uh, the, the United States is uh, acting like it's a totalitarian country or anywhere in the world, people will use 1984 as like the benchmark. And you see both, and it doesn't matter any political ideology are they're all more than willing to uh, co-opt 1984 for their own purposes. It's a weird. It's it's a, unfortunately a lot of the people who use it haven't read it. <laughs> they just know what it's about and say oh, this is like 1984. As it stands, it's just a great book. It's just a very, very benchmark piece of of, of uh, dystopian literature, you know? Um, I dispute the way this is being marketed as a feminist take on 1984. In fact, it's just a female take on 1984. So I don't think... I think they may have done themselves a little bit of, dis- of a disservice. I think there's certain people who will say, "Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to incorporate that uh, ideology into my reading uh, diet or whatever." And that's a shame because this is beautifully written. 1984 is told from the perspective of a character named Winston Smith, so it is a male, you know, viewpoint, and he winds up uh, in a relationship with a woman named Julia, who's, you know, they both are working for the state, like everyone in this horrible society. This, from Julia's perspective, is. And, and Julia does get kind of the short end of the stick in 1984. She's just window dressing, I think. Whereas in here, the, it is a really interesting. I've read 1984 a couple times. I love the book quite a bit. And two things are happening with this book. One, I think I prefer this, <laughs> which is shocking. And two, it's just making me think about the original text in all new and different and interesting ways that I did not expect or see coming or even ask for. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're feeling adventurous, 1984, Julia, Sandra Newman, I have not ordered this yet either, uh, but I will because we should have this in-house. I can imagine a book club having a fantastic time if they really wanted to do a deep dive, read 1984 and then read Julia afterwards. And I think it would be a phenomenal experience and really interesting uh, trip down uh, the byways of uh, literature. So. There we go. That is all I have. Uh, we are going to take a breather and uh, refill our coffee cups and ponder the universe, and we'll be back on New Book Tuesday. Let's take a virtual trip down 
the stairs or the use the elevator, whichever you prefer, to the Youth Services Department, where we will talk to Heidi and Casey, who make that department click somehow. That's that's a wild place down there, you know? Children's department is the wild <laughs> It's just the wild It really is. It really is. Um, speaking of all things wild, I picked the book The Eyes and the Impossible by Dave Eggers. He writes both adult and children's literature. And Heidi brought this book to my attention. We share an office and she was typing her way at her computer and said, hey, have you heard about this new book by Dave Eggers? It's getting a bit of hype and might win the Newbery Award. Nice. And I said... No, I haven't. I will order it right away um, because the premise and just how it was presented looked really cool, and I hope to do it justice and share about it. Um, Overall, it is a book for readers of all ages. I can see adults, kids, um, anyone really enjoying this book. It is about a a clan, I don't, maybe not clan, but animals who live in a city park, a central park in New York kind of came to mind. Um, There's a herd of bison, a few pelicans, um, squirrels, raccoons, and the most importantly, a dog named Johan. And his job in the forest, in the park, is to keep an eye on everything that's going on and report back to the animals. So he loves to run on the cover. He's darting through... um, a forest and he goes and checks on all the people who are visiting the park there's a little paddle boat pond there's some food stalls and there's some construction going on in the park which um, has raised some eyebrows and he is essentially called the eyes so he runs around the park and reports back to the animals whom are probably more wise and sage um, and older than he is and they sort of interpret what he is bringing to them as far as intelligence. Um, You can take it for what it is as animals running around in a park in the forest, or you can get pretty philosophical with it and think about what each animal represents. Um, And I think it it made me laugh. It made me cry. I also read it while I was camping, which added a layer (laughs) of, I don't know if anyone else does this, where the area or the place in which they read a book kind of influences how they're interpreting it. So I purposefully brought this camping um, and I was reading it while in the hammock and it really helped me connect to the story versus reading it inside at home. Um, So I highly recommend The Eyes and the Impossible by Dave Eggers. It might get a shiny uh, Newbery Ward on the cover. I hope it does. Metallic sticker, right? Metallic Uh, sticker. The cover (laughs) is beautiful in and of itself. Not that we judge books by the cover, but um, it has wonderful illustrations and paintings throughout. So definitely pick up The Eyes and the Impossible. It's interesting. Dave Eggers wrote the uh, screenplay to the adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, he did. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, when you brought that up, I thought of that right away. And uh, that adaptation, while not hugely popular, I think is actually a brilliant movie um, Mm -hmm. because it also has, you can accept it as on face value, but metaphorically, it's got a lot to say about so much. And Eggers is great. I like him a lot. I had no idea this existed, so already the show has done wonders for me. So, and uh, side note uh, or warning: no animals were killed in the making of this book. Very good. There is some thematic um, injuries that happen as part of the story, but I always, um, I don't know. Books with animals always make me really sad um, or have the potential to make me really sad. And uh, no one passes away. Okay. 
<laughs> Duly noted. Duly <laughs> noted. <laughs> Excellent. Heidi, got a uh, item for us to discuss? I do. Um, since we are on the topic of Newberry, um, I've made it a point this year to try and read some books that are on the mock Newberry list. Um, so I chose The Lost Year, A Survival Story of the Ukrainian Famine by Catherine Marsh. Um, this story is inspired by Marsh's own family history, and I think it's an important one for people to read because I learned something that I didn't know about history. Um, so it begins with Matthew. He's 13, and he has hunkered down at home during COVID. He's with his mom and his 100-year-old great-grandmother. Um, great-grandma came to live with them because of the pandemic, so it was safer for her. Um, and it's also important to point out that his dad is in France and cannot travel home because of the travel ban. Mm. So, like any other teenager during COVID, he got into playing his Nintendo Switch, um, really into Zelda, <laughs> and mom was not having it. So, mom ends up taking away his Switch and tells him that he needs to find something more constructive to do, like maybe get to know his great-grandmother. So he starts going through great-grandmother's boxes that she has brought with him from the nursing home, and he discovers a family secret. So um, through alternating timelines um, and narrators, uh, we learn the story of three cousins, one who lives in the United States and two that live in Soviet Ukraine during the 1930s. Um, This is during the and I never say this right, um, the Holodomor. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know what that is, like me, I did not know what this was, is the Great Ukrainian Famine. Mm -hmm. And this was a man-made famine that killed many, like millions of Ukrainians. Um, So When you say man-made, are we talking like the Soviets would like intentionally cut off food supplies and that type of thing? Yeah. Yes. So... um, Lots of people were struggling. Um, it's just a, it's hard to say, it's a beautiful, heart-wrenching story. And I would recommend this story to um, adults. I would recommend it to teenagers. I think it's a great crossover book for kids that are looking to read upstairs, but not quite ready for upstairs, meaning young adult. Um, it's also on a finalist for the National Book Award. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. The, um, wow. That's, I love the framework of a story within a story. That's one of my favorite tools and it sounds like that thing yes. nails it. So, and yeah. I would say more, but I don't want to give away too Understood. much because, um, <laughs> I will say there is an awesome twist that you will not see coming. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Fantastic. Well, the titles keep flying fast and furious here on, uh... New Book Tuesday, and we'll be back right after this. I'm curious, what are you reading lately? Hi, so I do the ordering for the adult nonfiction books here at the library, and we recently got a copy of 
Counting the Cost, a memoir by Jill Duggar, and that came out in September. So this is the book I, I will be sharing today. Jeff, did you have something to say? No, 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 no. I had uh, <laughs> on the blooper. You look like... I, no, on the blooper, I had lots of things to say, but I'm, no. Now okay. you're good. Go right ahead. <laughs> say the <it a> word. <laughs> so this memoir um, is about Jill Duggar and the TLC show she grew up on, called Nineteen Kids and Counting, and then it turned into Counting On. Um, <laughs> so they kept making babies. <laughs> yeah. Yup. So she comes from a very large family. They're in the IBLP, which is the Institute in Basic Life Principles, and it's a non-denominational Christian fundamental organization that they grew up in that religion and that and. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack with that. I there mean, is a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> so her memoir, like just talks about her childhood growing up and what she now deems as a cult and oh boy. sees how controlling it was and she actually uses those terms in the book. I mean she actually is outsome as that. She's yeah, okay. she's still very religious yeah. but not in that yeah. way. <laughs> she said they grew up they weren't allowed to dance as kids, any of that stuff. It was against their religion. And she talks about how controlling uh, Jim Bob Duggar is, her okay. father. and who, who on television always sort of comes off as this uh, you know, beautific grin and very warm. And that's sort of his, but that is the character he's playing on TLC, I'm assuming. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. all throughout the TV show, which has been on for years... None of the kids got paid for it. Mm. So that's what she's talking about. She married her husband, Derek, on the TV show. And she had the wedding on there, and it yeah. made the most money out of all the other kids' Big weddings. ratings. Big yeah, ratings. but they never saw a penny from it. Mm. And That's troubling. She was forced to give birth on camera. Jeez. Oh, and my gosh. Jim Bob tricked her into signing a contract that she didn't realize it was like a five-year contract um and they weren't getting paid for it and they had to give birth on camera and all that stuff well this is all awful um <laughs> it's very awful but she talks about her childhood and yeah. um she's very critical of her parents but also you can tell she has a lot of love for her mom michelle still yeah which i was surprised by and she really talked about how good of a mother she was yeah which i never thought she was <laughs> because she talks about the buddy system growing up. Heidi's nodding her head. Yeah. the buddy system. The buddy yeah. system. Um, so it's funny that she like talks about her love for her mother. Um, as someone who's watched most of that series, because I am just fascinated by people that live differently, um, the buddy system mom would pair an older sibling with a younger sibling. They'd be like seven years old. And... Um, it seemed like the older sibling was parenting the younger one. So mom was never really parenting. Right, yeah. She'd give like the babies to like the eight year old girls and have them raise them. Wow, crash, <laughs> so she had a bunch of course. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yep. And Jeez. Yeah. Um did you make it to the end? Have you uh, did you polish it off yet or not? I am not quite okay. through it yet. I'm just curious what her final summation will be of all that. I mean, that's, I that's a really where, where do you go from here is a really interesting question. I think. Um, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the 2000s and the 2010s were really big on those kind of reality shows with cameras trained on families. Now we just get it on YouTube. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and actually that's been controversial too. There's been a fair amount of uh, kids who are like, my parents are totally banking off my cuteness. Um, you know, mine never did, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, and it's, it's really troubling. I mean, when you, when you start asking those kind of questions, it gets really nerve wracking. Like this is pure exploitation. And, and the parents will say, well, but look at the life I'm giving them. We're going to Disneyland and we're going to Dolly World and Dollywood and we're going. And it's like, yeah, but they're not kids anymore. And I have a feeling that's what your author probably was lamenting, perhaps, that they didn't really have a childhood yeah. per se. Pretty much, yeah. Developmentally, <laughs> what does that do to someone? I mean, geez. It's yeah, crazy. Um, so overall, though, good read. I mean, you yeah. certainly, it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a barn burner because there's a yeah. lot of people, I'm sure, who are not thrilled that this book exists. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Jim Bob. That might be the one. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, nerve wracking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All it right. Might go, it might go hand in hand with the new Britney Spears book a little bit too. Have you read that yet? We talked I about that not, before, we've been, yeah. before the show. I said you're <laughs> bringing Britney because <laughs> <laughs> Britney was controlled as well, and right. now it came out with a book. So yeah. I'm wondering if you like the Britney Spears book or that story. You might like this one. I've heard really good things about Britney books so far. So yeah, I do want to read that. I want to listen to it on audiobook since Michelle Williams oh. narrates. Oh it, wow, and that's, that's she does an impression of. JT, which sounds hilarious. (laughs) I can kind of do one, too, if I have to. Um, (laughs) But anyway, that's the extent of my Justin Timberlake uh, impersonation. That's a good place to end, I think, on my Justin Timberlake impersonation. Uh, The show is New Book Tuesday, the New Book Tuesday podcast. I'm going to let that roll off my tongue easier by episode two or three. But now, uh, full disclosure, we came up with a title of the show about two and a half minutes before we went live so that's good you people are here with us as we create this uh new thing here at the cedar republic library thanks for tuning in everybody thank you to casey and sarah and heidi i'm jeff we'll be back with another episode and more books for you to add to your tbr list well that could have been a good title too to be read okay it's fine (laughs) (laughs) see you soon everybody thank you Remember, the adventure doesn't end here. Head over to monarchcat.org to request or place holds on any of the titles you heard today. Whether it's a thrilling mystery, a heartwarming romance, or a mind-bending sci-fi, there's a story waiting for you. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback keeps us going and helps fellow book lovers discover their next favorite read. A special thank you to the friends of the Cedarburg Public Library for their unwavering support in making this podcast possible. Your dedication to fostering a love of reading in our community is truly commendable. Stay tuned for more literary discoveries next Tuesday. Until then, happy reading and may your bookshelves and TBRs be ever-expanding. <laughs>